Hey, it's Allie Kaplan. Before we start the show, just a quick note. I wanted to let you all know this interview was recorded several weeks ago before the coronavirus pandemic. We had to cancel a recording session to finish up our Back to the Classroom segment, so you may notice that it sounds a bit different since it was recorded remotely. But we didn't want to delay getting this out, figured everybody can benefit right now from stories of leadership and collaboration. Take care, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Anila Idnani suffered from trichotillomania. That's a hair-pulling disorder. She pulled her eyebrows and eyelashes, but hid it from family and friends until 2013, when she finally revealed her struggle to her husband, Samir Kumar, who set out to find a solution. Together, they started Habit Aware, which makes software and wearable technology designed to help people with body-focused, repetitive behaviors. Habit Aware has won a bunch of competitions. Min Cup, the Mita $1 million challenge for minority entrepreneurs. Most recently, Habit Aware was awarded a National Science Foundation grant to conduct research and development to improve the product they already have on the market and broaden access for those who suffer from body-focused repetitive behaviors. Might not be something you've ever even thought about, but for those who suffer, it's a really big problem, and this product has made a huge difference in their lives, and that's why I'm so happy to have Anila and Samir here with us today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. I've been watching your company, and as a business reporter, I feel like we report on Habit Aware quite frequently here in the Twin Cities and beyond. You've uh, you've done a lot very quickly, um, so congratulations. Thank you. Um, but let's let's go back, uh, Anila. Let's start with you and and your struggle. How did it? How when did it begin to become a problem and how long did it take to realize that something was wrong yeah so my my memory is pretty fuzzy but I do remember starting to pull in my early teens like around 10 11 12 ish Mm -hmm. um and it was just a coping mechanism it was something that I just did without really realizing it just as when I was bored or when I was stressed and before that, I used to be a hair twirler and a thumb sucker. So I think I've always used my body as a way to self-soothe. And this was just the next progression. Okay. And it just became this thing that I would do. And I would just, I didn't really realize that it was happening. And so I would just hide it with a black eye pencil covering up my eyebrows so people wouldn't know because I just thought it was also really weird. Uh-huh. And but I you was, didn't say anything. You I didn't, didn't say anything, anything to your parents. I didn't say anything to anyone. There was my, a few years later, my dad was diagnosed with cancer so there was just too much other stuff going on that like I didn't want to burden my parents with this thing that I had no clue what was going on like were you do you remember like as a teenager were you stressed out were you were you nervous were you unhappy I so also looking back I think I realized I did grow up with anxiety I just didn't know that that's what it was like Mm -hmm. people just build me as shy that you know the shy kid who hid behind her parents you know um but it was anxiety and it was, yeah, so I, I definitely had 
those issues and I didn't have the right outlet or the right tools or the right terminology to really get help. Um, we didn't talk about mental health in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. So. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Long Island, New York. Okay. And it and- was also, sorry, it was also just, you know, I'd also moved from one town where I felt very comfortable and very had a good group of friends to a new town where it was just a very different value system, not one that I believed in, and that made it hard to grow up there. Hmm. And um, what happened when you went to college? Did it get better or worse? Or? College was super stressful, yeah. so it got worse, but I didn't really let it inhibit my life. Like, I would just hide it and no one would know the difference. I, I myself, because I had learned to ignore it for so long, wouldn't mm-hmm. really acknowledge it either but deep down it was it was definitely stirring up you know trouble in my head and in my heart sure so at what point do you meet Samir the 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 future mister (laughs) (laughs) um so we actually met down in Miami we were I was going to school down there um and Samir was working and we met through mutual friends okay and then about four years later we got married and Samir, you yeah, had right. you yeah. had no idea that Anila was having this <laughs> struggle. No, you know, it's, uh, being the shrewd and observant uh, boyfriend or husband, I guess. Um, but I think it just goes to show you the lengths to which uh, people can go to to hide uh, to hide these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that they get really good at hiding, mm-hmm. and also it's not like she's. You know, she was walking around with no eyebrows and eyelashes the entire time. Mm-hmm. It's a thing that goes in waves, to my understanding. Mm-hmm. So yep. there are times that are better, times that are worse. And, um, and you almost learn, like, okay, if you've pulled too much here, then you switch to the other side. Like, you learn wow. how to Cope. sort of smooth it yeah. out so that people can't notice it as much or... You know, I mean, after 20 years, I was really good at hiding it. Mm-hmm. Like even my best, even friends would be like, "Oh my God, your eyebrows look so good today!" And I'm like, "Are you like? It's a pencil." Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, so maybe they had some inkling. Yeah. But okay. Um. So meanwhile, what what kind of work are both of you doing at this point? I was uh, I was working in finance at the time. Uh, just uh, I had been a consultant and then took a job in finance. So that was. That's what I was doing. Okay. And Anila? I was working in the ad industry uh, as a digital producer um, at an advertising agency. Okay. So around 2013, you guys have been married for a while at this point? Like Three years. Three years. Were you parents yet? We had just... Yeah, our first son yeah. was born in 2013. Okay. So that's stressful <laughs> too. <laughs> And you decide to share this um, It was not a decision. (laughs) Oh, okay. What happened? Um, I was pulling a lot more, I think, the hormonal change. So, you you know, the research actually shows that these conditions, body-focused repetitive behaviors, tend to manifest during puberty. Uh So I think that there's a link with the hormonal change. And during pregnancy, there was obviously hormonal change. So I was pulling a lot more. And it was very much more obvious that there were kind of blank spots in my eyebrows. And then one morning I was just, I was walking into the bathroom to get my black eyebrow pencil and Samir was standing there and we collided and he was like, where are your eyebrows? And so I was caught. And Hmm. in that moment, like, 
I had never had to come up with a lie before for this, so I didn't have one ready. Yeah. Um, and so I just told the truth. <laughs> and Samir, were you shocked? Uh, you know, I was just curious, I think, more than anything, I guess. Uh, I didn't really understand how big of a deal it was for Anila. Uh-huh. Uh, I was more just curious that that it was such a big deal for her and uh, that she hadn't told me about it. And so so I was just trying to learn, trying to understand sure. at that point. So what do you do next? Did you did, Right away, did you start thinking, I- I'm going to fix this? I'm going to do something about this? Uh, no, I don't think so. The first reaction was really, what is this? Uh, so, you know, we just googled it and i mean she knew obviously so she told me it was a thing you, so, you knew the name at that so point in my early 20s i went to google or yahoo and it said why am i pulling out my hair and mm-hmm. i figured out that it was a mental health condition and that this term trichotillomania and i would read about it and i would cry and i would read about it and i would you know i had after i knew that then i told one of my friends who was studying She was in medical school, so I was like, have you heard of this? Like, can you send me any information? And she was like, oh, no, I don't know anything about it. I'm just a med student. Yeah, but you you didn't go to a therapist. I didn't go to a therapist. I I did try to go to a therapist prior to that, or actually around that time, Um, but it wasn't wasn't helpful. It wasn't. Even they didn't know. Okay, so Samir, you've got to obviously wrap your head around this yeah. discovery. Pretty yeah. big deal. Your wife, mother of your your first child. Now um, you have a job and a career. What at what point did thinking about this and processing this become? I'm going to do something. Yeah, you know, it was it it was probably a couple weeks later um, from that time because this was. Again, a pre- pretty bad time for Anil in terms of her pulling, and otherwise we were, I think, pretty happy. You know, with the, the I think we were at, having our our baby, and he was yeah. mm-hmm. he was great, and it was a, it was a great time in our lives. Um, so we were just trying to figure it out, and I, I think it was Anil who said, you know, it's not until after the damage is done that I I realize what I've been doing, and so that triggered for us, um, you know, the idea of having something that would alert her. Hmm. It was around the time, you know, Apple Watch was not yet out at that time, but Fitbits had started to get out and become a little bit more popular. Mm-hmm. So these things were becoming more popular. So it just happened to be the right time where, um, you know, the infrastructure for all of that technology and ideas um, could be could really allow us to build it. So you had this idea that maybe you could actually put a, a, a device, a Fitbit-like device on your wrist, and it would, what, zap you when you'd go to pull out your eyebrows? Um, just a gentle vibration, kind of like you get a text message when your phone's in your pocket. Just a little notification. We call it the hug on the wrist. It's just like a, a gentle reminder that your hands are not where you want them to be, and it's that cue that you can use to... Take a pause, take that moment to assess what's going on and why your hands are acting in this restless manner mm-hmm. and do something more healthy. So, and and did you think right away as you two decided, just start, started discussing this, did you think that's all I need? Like that, that would make the difference? That would change the behavior? Yeah. And we were basically sitting on the couch watching TV and I was pulling and Smear grabbed my hand because now at this point he knew and he was my eyes and ears for this. And I just, that was kind of the, the aha moment of like, oh yeah, if I just 
you know, I don't want him to tell me. I don't want my mom to tell me. I don't want my husband to tell me. But if I have something that tells me, hey, this is not what you want to be doing so that I can have that internal dialogue in my mind to say, oh, yeah, that's right. I don't want to be doing this. Let mm-hmm. me take stock of what's going on. Let me care for myself in a better way. Then, yeah, that could be the the little bit of magic that you need to start that road to recovery. So that's a big idea that makes perfect sense. How do you actually make that happen? What did you do next? Oh, that was a a long (laughs) and uh, winding road down. It took a while. Um, Yeah. We did a lot of uh, a lot of things, a lot of silly things, and uh, we had we said, well, well, we can't. Let's before we actually go and build or or hire people to build a wearable device, let's try and uh, test this idea. Does it actually work? So Anila would walk around. We we had some contraptions with magnets were involved. Um, that was painful. <laughs> yeah. uh, there were you know like a like two two sets of bangles that would actually jingle together when she. She raised her hand um, towards her face just as a way to test the idea. Does this bring awareness and does that actually help you? Mm-hmm. And you were concocting these things. You were like at we, a work table we, at we, home. We went to yeah, Michael's. Basically, we and, went to Michael's. Yeah, this is and, like, you know, on the weekends, nights and weekends right. while we're working our full-time jobs and having our baby. We're just like, yeah, we have time for this. <laughs> Had either of you ever done anything related to developing a product or anything in the medical space or engineering? Anything like that? Uh, only very tangentially. <laughs> so yeah. Anil, Anil I mean, had... I- done some I somewhere. truly believe that advertising is the basis of sort of the startup industry if you will it's everything that a startup needs to do it's understanding your market understanding that messaging understanding the communicate like the product is just the print ad or the hmm. website or the TV spot or the radio commercial mm-hmm. so in that respect I had been doing that for a bunch of years getting every getting helping that process along um, And then kind of also during this time, I was actually working on a different startup idea, um, which was a a kid's travel app um, that I was developing with a friend of mine designing and I was doing the graphic design for. And then this all of the Habitor stuff just kind of happened very organically and just I just kept kind of getting pulled toward it that I had to sort of put that aside to focus my attention. Mm -hmm. So definitely... Yeah, definitely always sort of feeling like I've kind of knew the process sure. of getting something off the ground. Um, and then I also watched my parents and even Samir, Samir, like both of our parents had companies of their own or businesses of their own. What kind? Um, well, my mom ran a, she was, she's a doctor, so had her own practice. Okay. Yeah. And my mom ran her dental practice and my dad had his own um, import-export business. Okay. Um, from his home. So a little so, bit connected to the yeah. medical world and yep. to, to owning businesses. Bit, yeah. So, okay, so you're you're at Michael's, you're playing around with, with crafts and trying to, to make something. What happened next? Did you hit on something in those experiments that, that got you toward the product? Yeah, I think, you know, Anila came back and she said, I think it's helping, you know, if it, if it wasn't this this janky and, <laughs> and uh, bothering everyone around me. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think from that, uh, you know, I don't remember exactly, but it was 
okay, we have to obviously come up with something discreet. Um, it's got to alert her, but no one else around her. Uh, and it's going to be very important how the thing looks and feels on, on the wrist. It can't be a medical device or mm-hmm. what you would normally think of as a medical device. So some of these insights we started having, um, but it really wasn't until we decided to go ahead and actually get a, a prototype properly made that we were able to kind of move it forward. And that took a little bit of time, but finally uh, there was a hack day, which is a local hackathon uh, that had an idea, uh, that had a competition. It was the first one. It was the IoT hack day. Mm-hmm. Neela came to me and said, hey, you know, uh, I heard about this competition. Should we start thinking about maybe getting a prototype for for?" You know, that was for this together. that yeah. was the push. So we were able to yeah. build a, a team like on site that day, <laughs> yeah. pretty much. Um, like you went just looking for developers. Well, we could... we had so we had started kind of recruiting ahead of the hackathon, but that gave us kind of like a, a goal to get to. So we actually found our Kirk, who's our chief technology officer. I noticed on Twitter that he was tweeting about. Uh, technology that I thought we could leverage for this idea. And so Samir just emailed him and said, hey, there's this hackathon coming up. We know that you're interested in technology in this way. Um, Here's what we want to build. Can we meet for coffee? They met for coffee. He joined us for that hack day. And now he's our CTO. And what was the technology? What was he doing that you thought this is going to lead to the result we need? Well, so he... uh, he had worked at Starkey um, as a as an engineer Starkey there, but hearing yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, but then he his tweet was around uh, this product called the Mayo, which doesn't exist anymore, but it would use EMG signals on your forearm to detect movement in your hands, okay. and uh, there were a variety of use cases for that. But um, but that was one of the things that we were thinking about using for detecting movement in the hands. Turns out that's not what we ended up using. But, um, you know, something along those lines. But he had the skill set and the knowledge to put together. So you tell him the problem you're trying to solve and your idea of something that's on your risk discreetly that's going to do that. Did he come up with the the idea for the the pulses or how did you how long did it take to get to what the product is within the well to get to what the product is it took some time (laughs) but at the hackathon they were able to create a device that when it's pretty much when your hand moved to your head yeah it would vibrate how did it know how would the device know that you were moving your hand to your head yeah. The yeah. magic of the code that Kirk <laughs> built. <laughs> okay. And then at the hackathon, we also met John Pritchard, who is our lead hardware engineer. And so he was there. He just happened to be there. Um, and that was the point of the hackathon was to, like, meet people. You know, we went around to all the different tables to just talk to everyone and try to try to find someone that would be part of our team or at least help us start this idea. And he just happened to walk by and said, hey, do you guys need help? And... Wow. Sat down and helped yeah, and he build did. the hardware that Kirk built, like the, the brains for, the firmware for in the that 24, 48 hour period. That's amazing. So yeah. so then what? So mm-hmm. it, we, 
back uh, so nights I, and weekends? <laughs> well, kind of. I went and presented it, and we were voted crowd favorite, and which really just, you know, it was I don't think we won anything, but it was a nice motivational mm-hmm. boost, which allowed us to say, hey, we won. People think there's something here. Yeah. Let's um, let's keep going because uh, we, although we had this prototype that was uh, that I could demonstrate. Uh, it wasn't actually useful. Uh, Anila couldn't wear it for any period of time, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we had to kind of rebuild it nights and weekends. And then a a couple months later, uh, we got something useful that Anila could wear. And we started going from there. Did you need money in that nights and weekends (laughs) phase after the hackathon? And now you've got other people involved. Were they just so jazzed about this idea that they were willing to to put in their, their time? or were you paying people? Yeah, we we were just all just doing it as a project on the side. Um, It didn't get formalized until later. Um, You know, we weren't able to start paying anyone until until at least a year or two out. Were you even trying to raise money right away, or you you just wanted to... We just wanted to prove that this thing could be built and could work, and I think for all of us, we all come from these creative backgrounds. John, Kirk, Samir, and I, we all come from these sort of... creative backgrounds where we need to be building and tinkering and so um and i think that's a testament to just the minneapolis tech community at large like we just like to make things like Mm -hmm. there's a huge maker community here and i think that is what kept us going like we all like to just make things and we it wasn't there was no like okay well before we build this let's talk about equity and this and that it's like there's nothing yet there was nothing yet. Let's get to something, and then let's figure out all of that. And we should just say, um, you you guys were here. All of this was happening in the Twin Cities, mm-hmm. and what brought you here was a job. That's that's mm-hmm. a, a regular nine to five job. Right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Okay. Um, all right. So you kind of get connected with this community. You're you're building this prototype. You 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 land on something that actually works. Did it? Did that first version resemble like what is on Anila's <laughs> wrist today? No. <laughs> well, it was. If, it was. A, if you view a. If you can imagine a bright yellow slap bracelet um, with a little plastic enclosure that has uh, some, yeah, just a circuit board with open electronics. Okay. (laughs) So that's what, pretty much what Anila was wearing, uh, you know, for, for, I don't know, as long as, as many days a week as we could get it functional and working, (laughs) it would break frequently. But we would have her measure, it's like, how's it doing today? How many times did you pull today? And we could see those numbers gradually but steadily drop um, especially when we were able to get the bracelet and get that thing working for her um, consistently wow so. that's 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 a great motivator yeah. yeah so um at what point did you what what came first did you start entering competitions like the Minnesota Cup or did you become a formal company did you quit your day jobs how, how did this the, How did it go? The catalyst was um, Hacks, which is a hardware accelerator program, which we got into in no- November 2015. How did you even know about these things? Did you just start Googling? We, yeah. So, well, I think yeah. the, even before, before that, that, you know, we went to a conference. So with these oh, yeah. prototypes that we, we were like, let's make five or six of them and take them and see if anyone, if other people care, you know, besides Anila. And so we went to the conference. Uh, it's an annual conference put on by the major nonprofit in this body-focused repetitive behavior space. Uh, and 
Yeah. Uh, People were so excited. It was just, I can't believe, yeah. No one had ever no tried had ever... to solve this problem before? It, uh, Actually, of course there had been, people yeah. were trying to solve it. We just came, we came, I think like our aha moment came at the right time that technology was converging to make it, to be able to make something that could fit on a wrist mm-hmm. and could look good and could work. Right. You know, like I think there, there wasn't this idea of building awareness i mean that's awareness is the first step in cognitive behavioral therapy which is the the gold standard of treatment and so this idea of using technology to build awareness was not new but we came at it from a different angle i think and from more of a, a consumer standpoint of uh, what would i actually want to wear versus like the medical standpoint and technology was you know the sensors were small enough and at this point in time mm-hmm. that we were able to and there was a Make it cultural change where Fitbit had made mm-hmm. it popular and cool sure. and stylish. And so we would go to the conference and there was like a 12 or 13 year old girl who's like, it's like a Fitbit for me, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so you could see the kids eyes light up. You could see the parents, um, people who had dealt with this for decades yeah. and saying that's what I need. And so the psychologists were saying really we've exciting. been waiting for this for years. Like how, they were so excited. How many people suffer from trichotillomania? Yeah, so it's hard to fully know because there's so much shame and stigma around these behaviors that people don't share. Um, but most recent estimates put it at 1 in 20 Americans. Hmm. So that's about 5% of the population. Wow. Um, but, yeah, so we actually say body-focused repetitive behaviors are the most common disorder you've never heard of. Like someone you know has one of these conditions if it's not you. And are there others that fall in this category besides pulling eyelashes and eyebrows? Yeah. So any pulling of hair that when it's a soothing mechanism for um, like basically using your body as a coping mechanism. So hair pulling, skin picking, nail biting. And then there's others like um, nose picking, cheek biting, finger picking, basically anything that you're kind of using your body to self-soothe in a repetitive way. So when did did other people besides you and Neela start wearing your device, which which you has a name? Now, Habit Aware is the company name, but mm-hmm. the device is called the Keen, 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 Keen. bracelet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, when did you start trying it on other people? So after we got, it was probably just before the conference. We had been doing like an alpha test with a few devices and a few people. So I had to get over the hump of sharing my startup idea with people in the Twin Cities and then also share this mental health condition with people. But as I did, people would come up to me later and be like, I do that. Hmm. Um, and so we started, I started just sort of collecting a list in my mind of like, okay, all these people have come up to me and said, I do that. They can, they can alpha test when we're ready. <laughs> and so we went back to a few of them and I even like sent an email around my you know, ad agency office saying, this is what we're working on. If anyone knows anyone, like, just send them my way. And so found a couple people that way, too. Um, and we named it Keen because it brings you keen awareness. That was sort of the little play on words. Um, so, yeah, so we were able to alpha test. We got some good feedback. Obviously, it wasn't perfect, um, but we got enough enough of, to check the box to say, okay, Let's keep moving. But yeah, Let's after the moving. conference, then actually people were just so excited. We took, we we didn't take money at, the, but we took orders, uh, reservations, and fifty people said, you know, yeah, I want one. I would pay, you know, X amount for it, and 
they were the the motivators because the parents especially yeah. we would get people emailing us um, continuously after that hey is it ready yet and so mm-hmm. um, as we had next products ready we wanted to ship them out and see that see if um, people would were having good experience with them so so when did the the keen bracelet actually hit the market when when did it become available to the public yeah. people who didn't know you yeah so uh, we, yeah. we launched to the public in april of 2017 okay yeah. and how where online yeah, yeah. On, on our, our website. website okay mm-hmm. how did people find you did they find you? Yeah. Um, so prior to that, we were working with Hacks, which is the hardware accelerator program. We did a three-month stint in Shenzhen, China, the electronics manufacturing capital of the world, um, where we were able to get our prototypes to almost manufacturing ready. So they were an extension of our team in terms of industrial design, mechanical engineering, marketing. And through that program, we launched a pre-launch campaign on our website. Um, but up until then, you know, people were, were finding us. We were doing some gentle marketing outreach to collect email addresses so that when we were ready to launch, we had a ton of people ready and waiting to say, yeah, we want that. I see. Um, to get to that point, that had to take some money. Did did the competitions cover it or did you raise money or put in your own money? Yeah, all, all of the above. All okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, we we were fortunate to get some, you know, with Hacks, they, it's, a, it's run by a venture capital firm, so they invest a little bit in each of the companies they bring on to their program. We also were able to raise a small um, angel kind of pre-seed round at that time. Uh, we had put some of our own money in prior to that just to get it up and running or just to get it started. And then, yeah, we were able to win a couple of small competitions at that time. Which helps with PR as mm-hmm. well as a little bit of money. Yeah, yeah. And um, PR we were not really looking for until we got to market. <laughs> it doesn't really help you that much until then. But, um, it, you know, certainly the money was super helpful. Sure. Yeah. Did you still have your day jobs at this point in 2017? No. We had left our day jobs to go to Shenzhen, to go to the HACS program. In 2016. Yeah, in 2016. Okay. We left in January, February 2016, yeah. Brought the kids. Yeah, yeah. we had one. Yeah, two. we had a two-year-old, and uh, we brought him. Okay. Uh, he went to daycare in China, and we would go to HACS, and then we'd pick him up. So. And were you just like loving every minute of this? Were you like, what are we doing in China? What All just happened? Like, yeah. This is like yeah. a mix of what are we doing and this is amazing all at the same time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Were, it was a roller coaster. And um, it still is. I feel like sometimes there's still those moments of like, what are we doing? This is amazing. What was the best um, advice that you received uh, along the way in, you know, when it comes to developing a new product, something that's really groundbreaking, actually building something, launching a company? What was the most helpful or, or best advice? Uh that's a good question. I think one of the things that I come back to is stay focused on what you're doing and don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Uh, because there's so much, there's so many products and tangential products or other things that you should be doing according to the experts, um, whether it's 
looking at competition or, uh, you know, coming out with, in our case, maybe a more mass market product. Um, but I think this is, you know, we were driven to this problem for a very specific reason. And that's, and I think when things get hard, you have to have something that keeps you there, mm-hmm. you know, and for us, it was the reason we were solving this problem um, that that allowed us to s- stick it through. Right. So that right. really resonated with me through the hard times. So when you get to the point of launching the actual product, product, the Keen bracelet on your website, what happened? Did were you just flooded with with orders? Oh, it was amazing. You, <laughs> it was, really? It was like I was like I can't believe this happened, right? Because you go, you you think that you hope in your wildest dreams that it's going to be amazing that day, right? Yeah. But you're super concerned that you're just going to launch it and no one's going to do it, right? You know? Are you sitting there watching the website? Like, yeah. Waiting? Well, we we got the website ready like literally that night changed it you know midnight because we said we're gonna launch we're gonna open for orders on this day may 16th 2016 the pre-orders right and um and so we changed the website to actually take orders and we're like okay and then we went to sleep (laughs) and then and I think we noticed a couple of orders trickling in right before we went to sleep at like midnight. And we're like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> and then we got up and it was just, my inbox was just flooded. Really? Yeah. And I was like, this is amazing. People from all around the world, people from Minnesota, yeah. who Everyone, were they? All around the world. Really? Yeah. Is it because there is a community of sufferers who who were saying, hey, there's going to be a product to help yeah. us? Yeah. Or- yeah, there was a support group on Facebook okay. that our our digital ads had just gotten kind of shared and reshared mm-hmm. and reshared and commented on. It's like, oh, when are they coming out? You know, like, and so people were getting upset that we weren't out yet, you know? Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, it was just coming, a, a weird feeling, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. how much did, did the first Keen bracelet sell for? It's it's been the same. Well, actually, uh, you know, the we disc uh, we we offered it at discount on for, for the pre order because we uh, knew like, that uh, people would still have to wait for the actual product. Sure. Yeah. So so the retail price is one hundred forty nine. So while it was on pre order, it was like one hundred nineteen, one hundred twenty nine. Now it is you're in that tricky space where it's kind of medical, but it's I mean, like, do, do people have insurance that ever covers this, or is it an out of pocket expense? Yeah, it's an out of pocket expense, but yeah, yeah, we'd love love for that to change and maybe one day. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have all these orders, you have the you're ready to go, you you get the bracelets out. Was it universally well received? Did you get any, you know, feedback from people like this isn't working for me? What what yeah. do you do about that? You get you always get a mix of, you know, feedback, and so we take our feedback to heart and we're using a lot of that to figure out where we're going next with the company and to figure out okay how do we fix the current product that's in market and so very quickly after we put out an algorithm update to help people with that real-time gesture detection um, to help mitigate some false alarms. Ah, so, so you could actually update the product once they have it. Mm-hmm. You're able to control the the tech kind of like yeah. an iPhone update yep. or something. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And and I mean, basically, I mean, I, I assume you have to have some disclaimers that like, look, we can't promise this is going to cure you. Yeah, but we, we don't think it will. Or what, yep. how do you deal all, with that? All we say is that this is help meant to help you build awareness. And then it's and then it's up to you. Right. It's a choice 
whether you pull or whether you pick. Up until that point, it's very much just your automatic brain engaging in these behaviors. But if you can have that gentle vibration to just shift that level of consciousness, then you can have that that conversation in your mind to say, nope, that's not what I want to be doing. Or maybe, no, I do want to just get this one hair and then I'll stop, right? Uh Which is the point that I'm at now. So I barely wear my bracelets. I'm at a point where I'm like, I know when my hands are starting to get restless and I may pull a couple of hairs, but then that's it. And then I go on to my replacement strategies that whether it's deep breathing or drinking water or taking a break from whatever I'm doing in the hmm. moment. But, and, and Anila, if you're having a, a stressful day, will you put the bracelet back on? Or do you not need that anymore? I don't really, no, I won't do that. I will just, like, step back from whatever I'm doing. Or mostly I find, and it's only with this bracelet that I figured out that late at night, was my biggest trigger, like being exhausted and overworked and still working like one, two, three in the morning with my computer. Um, Now I just shut the computer off and I go to sleep Hmm. and I do a meditation or um, just, you know, say my prayers and pass out. Mm -hmm. Samir, it has to be so gratifying that, first of all, you have largely solved your wife's problem and we solved it together well yeah i'm sorry let me rephrase i mean it must just be so gratifying that that you are in a business where you're literally solving mm-hmm. a, a problem for both of you um how does that feel and and how, how does it make you feel about work yeah it's it's honestly at this point I have to like remember and it's not that hard to remember because we get emails every day and Mm -hmm. and about the the life change that we're having and so it's almost hard not to get desensitized to that and I'm like oh there's another email you know but that's like (laughs) that's like a someone else (laughs) we're cutting that (laughs) but but you know it's it's right and that's my point is like every one of those emails is is huge is a really important amazing yeah. uh, thing and i'm just you know just cuz it comes on the computer and it's you're not physically there with someone anymore but when yeah. we were doing it with anila it was it was amazing you know it was, i think it i was actually talking with a friend i think it's because like we just send out our bracelet and then you know we don't know right we only know if they write in so I think that I think that's kind of what you're getting at is it's like hard to know the progress that someone's making. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is cool to follow. There are some people that will use the bracelet and share their journey on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. And so that's like really fun to watch because it's super cool to see like, oh, like, you know, they'll talk about how they did something. I'll be like, oh, the, you know, they should set it up this way instead. And like and I'll reach out. I'll say, oh, I heard that, you know, it was vibrating when you were doing this instead of this. Like you should you know either retrain like give them tips and stuff or oh don't just put your hands down when you get the vibration like actually use the information around you to start practicing something healthier so like we can engage in that conversation interesting but yeah it is harder because we're not seeing the the progress i think sure. is that what you're kind of getting at i don't know i, I think that's different I, i'm, I'm different. just saying okay. that. <laughs> cut all this yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying that I have to pinch myself because every one of those emails and, you know, after you get 
a number of them, you're like, okay, great. You know, that's, that's nice. But every one of those emails is very, very important. It's a it's person. A, it's an amazing it's, story. Yeah. It's, a, it's a person. So I just have to remember that. Yeah. That's all I'm trying to say. So um, can you say at this point, like how many bracelets you've sold or how, I mean, are, where is it? Is it only through your website? Is it available other places now? Uh, yeah, we, so we, uh, we are we sell on our website. We sell on Amazon. We have uh, some international dis- distributors: Australia, Japan, uh, the Germany, and Scandinavia as well. Now, just mm-hmm. just recently, um, so we've sold um, tens of thousands of of units. That's amazing. So, is Habit Aware profitable at this point? Uh, we are investing right now, so we are investing quite a bit in in R and D, and uh, and kind of hopefully to uh, make quite a bit of improvements and and have new stuff to to announce in the next year or two. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, without that, we would be profitable. Yeah. Okay. And are you able to pay yourselves? I mean, in a real practical sense, is 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 Habit Aware paying the mortgage or? Yeah, I mean, you... Habit Aware is you know we we employ um, you know seven or eight people, and so so we're two of those people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, great. This is, our, this is our income. So how do you yeah. like working together? It's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we were working together even before we were we were working together. Um, like I used to design Smears PowerPoint presentations for his corporate strategy job, and I don't know. I guess I've I've seen my I, I did. <laughs> <laughs> she takes, she wants credit for everything, Samir. <laughs> don't tell me I didn't sit there watching TV trying to relax, and you'd be like, "Hey, can I? Can you fix this?" It's no comment. <laughs> I wasn't anyway. So um, we were working together. I think both of us growing up seeing our parents work together. It's just kind of comes naturally. Mm-hmm. What is next? You have this research grant. You talked about improving the product. Are there other products or is it about new versions of the, the Keen bracelet? Yeah, we have, we have you know, as, as we mentioned, so we have two research grants, from one from the NIH uh, and one from the NSF. And both of those are serving to allow us to uh, do R&D to improve the product and incorporate therapy into the product so it'll be um you know if you right now what our product does is it's a real-time reminder um and that's pretty much it and which is great because it helps people a ton um but there's an opportunity to incorporate um the best evidence-based treatment into it. So what you would get from a psychologist um, incorporating those elements with the tracking of the device into an app and an overall system. So that's really what we were, what we're working towards. Um, and, and, and then, you know, yes, we have a ton of ideas after that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Related to habit aware. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, and also unrelated to habit aware, <laughs> we're always thinking of ideas. Um, but yeah, specific to habit aware, our goal is to just become this company that can help people with any condition for which that lack of awareness is kind of the sure. the the hurdle. I, I think a lot. Of, it's become kind of part of the startup culture to talk about. You know, what's the problem? How are you solving it? But I mean, I can't imagine a, a, a more um, you know authentic, organic situation than really solving a, a total problem for you personally. Mm-hmm. How does that feel? It 
feels incredible. It feels um, like super humbling and obviously a lot of pride all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, like when I was growing up, I didn't, I just assumed I would have, you know, like you said before, sort of a corporate nine to five job and sort of a ho-hum life or whatever, you know, like just like a, a regular normal American life. But I get to have the American dream, I guess. Yeah. So that's cool. Is that super cheesy? <laughs> I'm always I'm super cheesy. Sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. That's great. Samir, American dream. American dream. I'll go with that. <laughs> okay. We can cut well, that too. <laughs> we're not cutting any of it. Um, congratulations, both of you. It's such an amazing story. And um, <clears throat> wow. I mean, talk about setting out to to solve a problem and really doing it. Um, congratulations on the success. We'll expect more big things. Any any last uh, words of advice while we're here for others in the startup space knowing what you know now and all the all the competitions all the help all the yeah I mean like yeah this city is a really good city to start out there is a lot of help there is a huge community of hackers and makers and lots of you know organizations lots of incubator accelerator type programs competitions um, Minnesota Cup, Beta MN, Mini Star, Lunar Startups. Like, there's so much going on here. Um, even Fuel Collective has a diverse founders cohort that they're starting. So, there's a lot of people in the ecosystem that want to help you start your startup. Mm-hmm. So, take advantage. Take advantage. Yeah. All right. Well, stick around. Next, we're going to go back to the classroom for more advice with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Samir Anila, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this idea of using technology to solve for a healthcare issue or problem is really fascinating and something I think we're going to be seeing more of. Let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas's director of the Center for Innovation in the Business of Healthcare, Dan McLaughlin. Dan, I'm so curious how you think about technology and innovation as it relates to healthcare. I'm guessing that that's a huge factor today. Yes, and I think we're really excited about how technology is going to really transform healthcare, particularly as the systems get more sophisticated, they are more wearable. We're seeing all kinds of new exciting things. And in fact, in the College of Business here at St. Thomas, we have a grant from the GHR Foundation to look at digital applications throughout all businesses and the transformation that's happening there. And there's a special emphasis in technology and healthcare. So I'm pretty excited that the days of going to see the doctor in the doctor's office is going to still be there, but much more minimized. And we'll be doing a lot more with technology in the future. Amazing. It's got to be complicated, though. I mean, healthcare is complicated enough and privacy issues and data. How do you approach that if you are somebody who is innovating in the healthcare space? Um, well, it's tricky um, because you have to think about whether you're going to have a medical product that's actually has to go through the FDA, and that requires a certain amount of bureaucracy. Um, and then if then you have to think about who you're going to sell it to. And if you're selling it to physicians and nurses, that's a tricky marketing thing. Or if you're selling it to the public like HabitAware did, um, then you got to con- convince consumers that you have a reliable product. So it's a tricky market, but there's a lot of people entering that market right now. Sure. I bet. Um, it also made me wonder, you know, just thinking about HabitAware and their technology, what else could that be applied to? Were, were you thinking about that at all, Dan? Well, I wasn't kind of 
fascinated by their technology, considering they were kind of looking at arm movements and other things. I'm not quite sure completely what their technology is. And that you think about all the things we do every day that affect our health. Um, for example, smoking, you know, which is, you know, another habit that you'd probably want to get rid of. And, uh, you know, maybe not getting enough fitness, but more sophisticated than the kind of current fitness monitors we've got. Um, so you could see all kinds of personal health habits that could be uh, managed and kind of uh, improved by using a technology like habit wears. Right. It'll be fascinating to see how it evolves. Well, great perspective. Thank you, Dan McLaughlin, and thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you like what you heard, be sure you subscribe to By All Means. It really helps the show. You can go to tcbmag.com for more information or sign up wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Benita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed by all means. Bye.